0: You're listening to the Handmade CEO Podcast. My name is Maria Lauren, small business owner and creative entrepreneur. Each week, we'll discover the steps and motivation that inspire our guests to create income from their skills. Get ready to start learning how to creatively pursue your dream job by crafting it yourself. Thank you for tuning in to episode 114. This episode goes out to all of my fellow entrepreneurs that cringe when they hear that they have to sell. Oddly enough, we get into owning our own business to be in business, and yes, that will require some level of sales, but what if we've been looking at sales completely wrong? Stay tuned in until the end to hear Annie's amazing tips for you and her special offer. Hi, Annie. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, it is my pleasure to be here, Maria. Thank you for having me.
0: I would love to start by saying that your academy name is so clever. Can you tell me how you developed your sales techniques and how that led you to creating the non-sleazy sales academy?
1: You know, I never, ever, ever expected to be teaching sales ever i wouldn't even sell myself right i couldn't do it i wouldn't do it i wouldn't even try to do it but i was focused on both in my business and with my clients i was focusing on marketing and branding and i still really love marketing and i still really love branding And those are skills that you can take right to the bank if you ask for the money to take to the bank. And I wasn't doing that final chunk and I didn't realize I wasn't doing it because in my brain, marketing and selling had become synonymous because I was unwilling to sell. So I thought I will just market my little butt off until ultimately someone decides of their own free will, to seek me out, find my buy button on their own, click it and hurl whatever money I've decided at it without being asked. And that slowed my business growth to a grinding halt. And I'm so lucky that I decided to figure out selling before the COVID era, because otherwise it would have killed my business completely. But I had this inkling of there's got to be a reason why good people hate making money. Because all of my clients, so I'm like, why are, why are they not asking? And, and the word that I kept hearing come up and up and up and up was either sleazy or skeezy, which are cousins, right? <laughs> sleazy or skeezy. And I kept saying, and it's so hysterical. I was walking around my house for days going, I just need a name that's going to embody that I'm teaching non-sleazy sales. What could that name be? What could it be? oh my goodness, what could it be? I could call it this. I could call it sell with your heart. I could call it this. I could call it this. And I kept diving further and further into clever and less and less from clear. And then it finally, I think in exhaustion and exasperation, hit me like a lightning bolt. And it was like, hey, stupid. Just call it the non sleazy sales academy. There you go. So that's how that came to be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I love the clarity, and I think that's exactly what everybody feels. But um, just putting it out there, you know, for what it is, I think makes it so direct, and everyone can relate to that.
1: I think there's so much pressure, especially on artists and makers and people that are doing creative work, for our marketing to feel exceptionally clever, but I think we put that pressure on ourselves.
0: Right. For sure. And
1: our people that we are selling to especially if you're selling some kind of visual art or or jewelry or something like you, like you can see the work. There's a part of the work that can speak for itself. Therefore, the marketing and the selling of that beautiful object simply needs to rise to the occasion of explaining why it's worth what you're asking and giving a little bit of background or necessary information like how to use this thing, right? How to care for this thing. But we try so hard to be like, okay, I painted this beautiful painting and now I have to write a poem on the sales page for the painting. No, you don't. Tell me tell me the name of the painting. Give me a little inspiration background if you want to. Tell me, you know, this is my favorite dock in Michigan or whatever. And then tell me what the paints are made out of. Tell me the dimensions. Tell me the shipping and get out of my way.
0: Right. Well, that does not feel sleazy at all.
1: That's just a statement of fact, right? That's one of the beautiful things about if one of the very beautiful things about selling art is that you have something that speaks a thousand words on its own. It's our job then to say, look at this beautiful thing that I have poured myself into that solves a problem for you, whether it's my wrist feels naked or this wall feels naked or whatever it may be. But to say, I want to bring this beauty into your life. Let the beauty or the functionality, the quirkiness, whatever your art style is, let that infuse your life. And I am going to tell you the details you need in order to make a financial decision.
0: Right. Well, when you put it that way, I really think it speaks to people in a way that makes the selling part of it. It feels like it'll just happen naturally. I feel like when I become invested in a piece or, you know, if there's a social media influencer or whatever and they're showing me like their favorite shirt and where they got it from, um, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I, I would love to have that shirt. So it had nothing to do with that person actually physically trying to sell it to me. It was more their experience with it that sold me on the idea that my life's going to be so much easier if I have that shirt.
1: Yeah, and their enthusiasm.
0: Exactly. Because
1: that's infectious.
0: Yes, yeah. Well, so you started out in marketing, is that right?
1: So my background is in a musical theater. <laughs> ah talk about struggling to sell art. Would you please come to my show? Would you please come to my show? Would you please come to my show? Please, please. please. I worked really hard on it, right? So, but I went from theater into theater marketing, which is how I wound up in marketing and then i did i was the director of marketing and sales for a software firm for 5 years here in chicago but once i was liberated from software which is what i call getting let go once i was liberated from software thank goodness i wanted to go right back to the kinds of artists and makers and super small businesses i was working with before i went back into marketing until i had that epiphany moment that all the marketing in the world is not going to make you money unless you learn how to To ask.
0: Right. Why do one escape past the fact that you took your being let go as a almost like a blessing? Like it it worked pretty much in your favor. I think a lot of the times we look at an event like that as something very tragic. So, did that feel like that at first? Like this was kind of a blessing in disguise? Or did it really feel like it was something you had to work through and find your new passion?
1: Uh Both. It was definitely jarring, but I think the writing was also on the wall because the company was getting acquired and the company had been struggling for a long time. And I was in a constant state of like crying stress, really toxic stress. We had all of these changes, and then suddenly, you know, this like savior comes in, this company that's going to buy us. And I went on vacation to Texas. And I remember thinking before the holidays hit and I went on this vacation, it's weird that they haven't interviewed me yet. Why oh, oh. haven't they interviewed me yet? And then my boss called me on New Year's Day at like nine in the morning and said, you and I don't have a job anymore. They didn't take her either. Oh, um, which geez. Was, that surprised me. The fact that they didn't take her surprised me. So that kind of softened the blow of like not taking me. But also- I love small businesses. I love people with missions, dreams, callings, artistry that they can't wait to get out into the world, even if they don't want to sell it yet. Right. But they're they're here to create. And software is a cousin of that. And you meet Mm -hmm. really cool founders and you get to work on cool problems solving, you know, platforms and everything else. But I missed so very much being able to work directly with small makers. And so for me, that's why it was a liberation. I was like, cool, now I can go out and find my people. But it was still the loss of a decent salary. It was still the loss of my health insurance. It was still the loss of all these other things. So it was kind of like, ah, ah. okay, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And then once I, once I started to see... What was possible for me in this new world? I got a little bit calmer, and then honestly, the peace for me is always in the doing. Once I had a couple of meetings, or once I had a couple of calls with people that I'd worked with in the past day, and I'm back, baby! I'm back on the market. I'm back on the scene. Let me know who are your small business people, who are your makers, who are your coaches, your healers. I'd love to meet them. Once I got back into that flow, I was like, oh, I'm going to be just fine.
0: Yeah. Did you always see yourself starting your own business at that? I mean, or, or was it at that point that you saw yourself starting your own business?
1: You know, I grew up with two entrepreneurs as parents. And so I'm not sure I ever expected to have my own business. For much of my life, I expected to be performing. But once I had graduated with my degree, of course, the irony of this, once I graduated with my degree in musical theater performance, I pretty much was like, how do I want to do this professionally. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? But yes. <laughs> but I think for me, I don't know if I always knew I was going to start my own business eventually, but I did always know that starting my own business and walking my own path
0: was possible. That's great. And, and I, I gather you got that from the examples at home. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in regards to your past experiences, what was it that led you or was it your past experiences that led you to see that there was a need for a sales academy?
1: It was definitely my own experiences, but I didn't recognize it in myself until I saw it in my clients. I love solving problems. I love doing puzzles. I love doing riddles, right? I'm, I'm very much a puzzler. And so when I see people that I care about deeply struggling, I don't understand it. I want to fix it immediately. I want to jump in to like get my hands dirty and you know, work right through it. But it was an extra layer of these people are paying me to build these marketing programs, platforms, and launches with them. They're doing everything right. I deeply believe in what I'm teaching them. I deeply believe in my own work. I deeply believe in their work why aren't they making any money? And I looked at it and I looked at it and I started saying, well, send me your discovery calls or send me your emails. And none of them were ever asking. And I thought, where on earth did they get the idea that you don't have to ask? And then it was like, "Ah -ah -ah earth to Annie, they're modeling you.
0: Oh, got it. And then I looked
1: at myself and I thought, how often am I legitimately asking? And the answer was pretty damn close to never. And I thought, this is why we're not competing. We're not competing because we're not asking. So I went out and tried to find everything I could about sales. I read 138 sales books within a year. And a lot of the stuff I really, really liked and a lot of the stuff I really, really hated. But the kind of the, the dawning moment for me, because I consider myself a highly empathic person, as many artists do, is I read all these books by all these like sales bros and in all of the sales bro books they were like hey bros you need to learn how to be empathic you need to learn how to put yourself in your customer's shoes you need to learn how to pretend to care about your customers and i'm like well isn't that funny Because every single person I work with deeply cares about their customers, deeply feels for the situation they're in, and strives to know them better all the time. So, what's the disconnect? And the disconnect was in the tactics that I found. So, when I saw people have to try to shift into this quote salesperson persona, that's where we were losing them when they felt like they had to become somebody else in order to sell. And so, I thought, listen this is crazy. The bigs are trying to teach empathy. Empaths are trying to get away without selling just by over-marketing. I got to find a way, a method, a avenue for good people to sell beautifully, completely in keeping with their ethics and integrity. And I couldn't find it, so I made it. And that's how the Academy was born.
0: Oh, that's a great story. It does feel like there is a very common message in the sales books that you read. So that's probably why when a lot of artists read the book, it just doesn't resonate with them. You know, It doesn't matter how much you try. I mean, it, you already are. As a creator, you care very much for the piece that you're creating or for the service or the art that you're putting out into the world. So it feels to me a lot of times where I'm like, well, I already have that part down. I think the hard part is in the messaging, like being able mm-hmm. to, to say it. What do you think creates that struggle?
1: You know, I want to I'm going to answer this globally, generally, and then I really want to break this down for your audience, specifically for artists, makers and other creators. But globally, generally, we have redefined selling as all the ways that we've been abused by salespeople in the past. And so we say the definition of sales is arm twisting, lying, over promising, basically begging and beating people to a pulp until they agree to buy from you. All of those things we've experienced, that's sales trauma, right? That's real. And so especially if you're, you know, spending hours upon hours upon hours upon hours creating something from nothing, you're going to feel very endeared to that. You're not going to want to turn around and be like, buy this now! Like, that's ew. Ew. Or like my painting is the prettiest painting in the whole world. And if you don't buy it, you're an idiot. You should buy it right now. It's going to be in New York next month. Do you want to miss out? No. Right? Ew. Ew. Why would anybody want to do that? But on the societal level, I think we don't really understand what selling requires of us and what it doesn't. But also for makers and for artists and for creators, there's so much of you that goes into the process of creation that we tend, the word I use is we tend to get very precious about these brain children or these handmade children that we've created and so Anything talking about money or talking about value, talking about competitive advantage, talking about your competitors at all, all of those things feel like they're cheapening our babies, right? They're tarnishing the metal of whatever it is that we're selling. And yes, if you sell like a jerk, it absolutely will. But selling like a jerk is not the only way.
0: Right. Well, I wonder if it can also be a little embarrassing to put your stuff into the world and, you know, maybe have those people that are just out there putting negative comments or maybe you're not going to receive a lot of likes or attention. I wonder if that also plays into it is that insecurity of, will people like my product.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, rejection sucks, period. Every If anybody out there is going, I don't want to put my stuff into the world because I don't want people to say mean things about it on the internet. Yes, you and every other maker on earth, right? Right. Yeah, but exactly. here's the thing. If we Don't put stuff out there because of the possibility of haters. We close ourselves off from the probability of discovering someone who will love our stuff to pieces, right? Right, If we hide from the bad guys, we hide from the good guys too. Exactly. And the bad guys, largely in my experience, are bored, depressed people, angry, depressed people, and people who are for lack of a better term, just straight up jealous. You're an artist out in the world making beautiful things, putting it out there. You're an entrepreneur carving your own path. If someone's going to say, "Ugh, this is hideous. OK, well, thanks for your opinion. Bye bye now. So glad that you came over to like be a little rain cloud, Eeyore. You know, like one of the things I think about all the time about haters is um, my work wife, who is a phenomenal coach, Coach Jenny. She puts out these incredible videos on YouTube, just jaw dropping brilliance in the simplest way, like so accessible, but so profound. And somebody came and and Jenny is a really big Barbara Streisand fan, as is her wife. And so for the longest time, she's recently moved, but for the longest time when she would be on video, she had this wall behind her of all these different Barbara Streisand album covers. And somebody commented on the video on YouTube, ew, I would never take advice from anyone who likes Barbara Streisand. Oh, okay. obviously that person has completely missed the boat right
0: absolutely
1: and also thank you for enlightening us with that staggeringly eloquent opinion like what was the point of this you're just talking to hear yourself talk right but if jenny had taken the video down because of one person that got hung up on the completely wrong thing and honestly just made themselves look like a jerk all the other subsequent comments of people going oh, this was the wake-up call I needed today. Wow, that's really eye-opening. Thank you so much. I hadn't thought about it this way. If Jenny had just seen that first comment, that first hater and taken the post down, none of the subsequent impact would have happened.
0: That makes so much sense. You're right about the people being maybe unhappy themselves and they're just putting out your negative comments because I know there's plenty of times I've seen something that maybe I don't really like, but I don't ever feel that need to put that down in, into comment. I mean, it's we all have different tastes. So I mean, could that. you
1: imagine going to, you know, you're a Chicago lander, I'm a Chicagoan. Could you imagine going to the Art Institute or any other art institution in the world and then feeling the need to go on Facebook Live, stand in front of a painting and talk about why you don't like it?
0: Exactly. No. You would right.
1: look like a complete <laughs> idiot. Like, I don't care for this, Picasso. Nobody asked you. (laughs) Like, nobody freaking asked you. Right. Right? And so I think sometimes people are looking for validation through trolling. But even the trolling doesn't cheapen the art. It's hanging up in the most illustrious, you know, the number one museum in the world, as voted by TripAdvisor a billion years in a row. And here I am going, well, I think it uses too much purple. Right.
0: Right. Well, but on the other um, end of the spectrum, as a creator, you know, if we're able to walk into a museum and genuinely not like maybe half of what's in that museum, we never look at our choice to not like something as a negative. It's just who we are. So I think we should also accept- That's curation. Yeah. We should accept the fact that, you know what, maybe half of the people out there are going to like your stuff that you create and half of them won't. And that's just Part of life, you know, it isn't. Is it? It shouldn't be taken personal. In other words,
1: well, and also, most artists are very snobby about what they consider to be commercial art. Like, if it's loved by the masses, most of the artists I know are like, "But I don't want to be a tourist t-shirt." Okay, well then, don't be a tourist t-shirt. Like, pick what you want. You either want to be adored by everybody, or you want to be polarizing. Right. Right. And yeah. so there's a whole lot of stuff in the art world that I don't like. There's a whole lot. That's because art is meant to call out to the people that it calls out to and doesn't much care about anybody else's opinion.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I think if we could just wrap our brain around that, we would feel more comfortable, at least with the you know, embarrassment part of it.
1: You know, I think a lot of this, I'm grateful to my theater career for how it's helped me sort of adjust to rejection. Because you go into an audition, there's 10,000 girls who look exactly like you. And you go in, you sing your butt off, you do your best in the dance call, you sparkle, 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 and you don't get the part. And they don't tell you why. But later you go see the show and you realize I'm a four foot 11 round brunette. And the person they cast is a six foot two leggy blonde. Is that on me that I didn't get cast? No, obviously they were looking for a very different aesthetic. I can't take that personally. I did my freaking best. Now, if I go into the audition and I do a terrible time, that's on me. Go home, improve your craft, do better. Right.
0: Right. Most of
1: the times you get rejected in theater. It's simply a numbers game. There's 97,000 people and they're probably going to cast the person they already know. And so if I took every single rejection in theater to heart, I would have quit way, 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 way earlier than I did. And I think selling is the same way. Selling is about solving a problem for money. And we are all in crowded markets. If we wind up not being the best fit, we don't get the sale unless we go in to sell and botch it, that like a bad audition, is on us. But the majority of rejections are not because of our behavior. The majority of rejections are timing, fit, budget, or some other detail that we just are not going to be privy to. So you may as well get out there and show what you've got. And keep striving until you find the right people that are going to go. You have to hear about this jewelry line I found. It's amazing because those people are out there.
0: Yeah, and I think when you're sharing a bit of who you are as a creator, it also helps people remember your product a little more. So it helps to get, you know, them to be evangelizing as opposed to you having to do all the work. Mhm. Can you give me an example of a success story, maybe somebody that you've coached or helped through the sales process?
1: Oh, absolutely. I don't know why this one comes to mind immediately, but I think it might be helpful. I get asked a lot cuz I tell people to reach out to me before their next selling situation, and I'm going to encourage your audience to do the same. But a couple of weeks ago, I was approached on Instagram by this fabulous woman who is retiring from nursing, and she's transitioning from nursing to selling her own jewelry line. And she had a big art show coming up, and those make her incredibly uncomfortable. And so in DMs on Instagram, she said, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I said, well, first off, I need you to realize that nursing is sales. So I want you to take all of your skills from nursing, your bedside manner, your ability to break things down, your way to be persuasive, your way to be warm, create rapport and all those things. And I need you to apply it to your table. And what I mean by that is when they come to your table, I don't want you on your phone. I don't even want you seated if you can hack it. I want you bright and alive or even out in front of the table to show that in. And then I said, what you can do is meet the person before you try to shove something down their throat. So one of the things I encourage her to do is say, wow, hi, that's a really nice blouse. Thanks for coming by. Do you love that color blue that you're wearing? One of the things that I really love to pair with that color blue is this piece. Pick it up. Show it off. You're solving a problem. What is this problem? That person's not wearing a bracelet with that top. It really can be that simple to start the introduction. Then, what you have to do is show pride, not arrogance, not ego, but just pure pride in what you've created and answer questions, right? So, at that point, it just becomes listening. And so she said, Why does this all feel so much easier? And I said, because it is, because it absolutely is. And she wrote me back a couple days after and she said, I just got to tell you. And this woman is not a client. This woman is somebody that reached out to me on Instagram. And she reached out to me and she said, I feel like I didn't lift a finger and I had my best sales day ever by far. I can't wait to do another expo.
0: Wow. Well, that's a great testament. <laughs> but she relaxed into her
1: own strengths that she already has. And she leaned on the pride she has in her work. And when I said, don't focus on selling, focus on showcasing and communicating. She found that to be so much easier. So to all of you out there working summer art fairs or expos or tables of any kind, look alive, look proud and listen.
0: Yes. You know, I find that you're right. I, there's a lot of careers that people maybe already have, or maybe it, even it could, it could be something as simple as the car you drive or your child or your pet. When somebody asks us about something that we, you know, have a passion for that we didn't like physically create with our hands, it just seems like we're able to really sell it. Like, I could probably sell you the car I drive, or I could probably make you want, you know, the same dog that I have. Like, we talk about it with. With so much passion and we describe everything in a way that makes it so easy to understand. But yet when it comes to our own products or services, sometimes I think we shy away from being that excited about it or a billion, that excited about it.
1: Yeah. A billion percent agree. I mean, in our pre-chat, which the audience wasn't privy to, but in our pre-chat, you pretty much sold me, or I don't even know why I said pretty much, you totally sold me on Italy's gluten-free pizza crust. Yes, And I love gluten. Nom, 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 nom. You made this gluten-free pizza crust. You said it was a bite of heaven. That's memorable. I remember your exact words. Why? Because you told me about what made it special. You encouraged me to try it. And you showed great enthusiasm. So if you can sell me gluten-free pizza when I freaking love gluten and am firmly a Chicago North I would have to go downtown to get this gluten-free pizza right? I'm right. going, why am I going? Because of your endorsement, because of your enthusiasm. If yes. you could sell me gluten-free pizza, you could sell me your own jewelry. Absolutely.
0: Right. See, I but I love how you can break it down and make it so understandable. I think your direct approach to sales is really going to be super helpful to the listener. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, apart from your academy, what other services do you offer?
1: So- I love to put my marketing and branding back hat on or hat back on, back hat on, hello, hat back on because they really do flow together. And so what I offer through the Academy is a monthly month-to-month membership that is curriculum-based, but really driven by group calls. And the reason I do that is I never want you to have to sell alone ever again. If I meet with you weekly, and if you know that you can meet with me weekly, then whatever is coming up, ahead of you, I can help you prep for it. If you have a weird email that you need to sell, if you are send, if you need to fire a client, if you're doing something like an expo and you need your stuff brushed up, if you have a weird customer service issue that you don't know how to navigate, if you're launching something new, I want to make sure that I am there to lend a hand every single week, week after week.
0: Okay. So you have the Academy and then it's also, is that like a, would you call it coaching? The Academy
1: itself is, uh, yeah, it's a group mentorship program in marketing and sales.
0: Okay. And in general, what's the price range for the services?
1: it's a hundred bucks a month or a hundred a month of your own currency my beloved Canadians are always screwed over by the exchange rate so Canadians I offer it at a hundred Canadian and then people over in the UK are not so thrilled because I also I also offer it in a hundred pounds or a hundred euro which tend to favor right. in that so but it is a hundred in your choice of currency month to month leave whenever you want it is not the kind of system where you are meant to stay forever. Although, of course, you're obviously welcome. My goal always is for you to get your own sales wings and fly beautiful bird fly. But if you need a little more time in the roost, then come on down.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I love that you were saying that people can reach out to you on Instagram too. It sounds like you make it so that you're pretty approachable.
1: I absolutely love it. When people reach out to me, if people out there are going, well, she's probably just saying that I don't want to reach out to her. I'm shy. I don't want to bother her. For the love of God, please bother me. Please. It's it. It's amazing what you and I can accomplish in 15 minutes of concentrated action. And if Instagram is not your thing, if Instagram is your thing, first and foremost, yay, I'm at Anniepreneur, A-N-N-I-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R. If Instagram is not your bag, another great way to reach out to me with chat, which is why I love this platform, is LinkedIn where you can just search for me as Annie P. Ruggles or even Annie Ruggles, I will pop up that way. But just tell me what you are got going on. Tell me where you're stuck. Any of those things I mentioned before, a weird email or a client that's ghosting you, you're not getting discovery calls, bring me your little issues. I will help you fix them. Or if you're like, I need you to reframe selling for me personally, it would be my honor and pleasure to do that for you and with you, because I want more people out here, more good-driven, heart-centered, loving, creative maker, brilliant folks to be able to compete with the Walmart art of the world. And we're not going to be able to do that unless we start to self-advocate through selling. And it would be my pleasure to help you get that competitive advantage.
0: What actionable tips do you have for someone interested in becoming better at selling? Like just maybe one or two tips that someone could take home with and say, you know, this would be a great tip for me to try and implement.
1: The first one is redefine selling for yourself. It's a little bit different for makers, but my definition of selling is really always solving a problem for money. When I'm solving a problem for money, that feels like a fair exchange. I'm doing something for them. They're doing something for me. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. But if you're an artist, maybe selling is the act of giving your painting a whole new life by giving it a beautiful new place to hang instead of, you know, in a pile in your own workshop. Right. It could be you know, charting out into a whole new territory. I've never sold jewelry to somebody from Ohio before. Whatever it is, we got to reframe it so it becomes something not necessarily that we love, although we get there quite quickly, but something that we are eager to experiment with and something that we're eager to try. And the other is what I mentioned at the very beginning. When it comes to selling your art, let your art speak for itself and you in your dialogue or in your written stuff focus on handling the objections of what they why they wouldn't buy it and also the details that they need to know if you ship let them know. If you're only using, you know, nickel-free metals, let them know. If you're only using non-toxic ingredients, if you're gluten-free, that's the kind of stuff we need to know. But we got to show enthusiasm in those small details because that's what makes us special and unique. And then between that, If you're in a situation with a buyer in front of you, ask beautiful questions and then remember to shut up and listen to the answers because then you can find out what they truly want and you can prescribe the perfect thing for them.
0: That sounds great. Very easy to follow too. (laughs) Can you give me a valuable piece of advice that you learned from starting your own business?
1: A valuable piece of advice that I learned from starting my own business? Yes. Everybody should read the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. It was very, very, very hard for me to decide what to invest in and when. And so I fell into this trap of I'd have a good month, I'd reinvest all of it, and then I wouldn't be able to make the monthly payments on whatever it is I chose when I had a dry month. And that's because I wasn't focusing on profit. I was focusing on revenue. And a lot of people that have sales issues have some money issues as well. I know I did, but Profit First for me really outlined it in a way that made me realize, oh, holy heck, I'm not just a person out here hustling. I'm not just a girl boss or a, you know, hustle hard or something that would wind up on a t-shirt. I really am a business entity and I can act like one in a way that feels meaningful, purposeful, and stress relieving. So I really, really recommend that everybody keep a close eye on their numbers and their profits and work on their money stuff. And I really love that book, Profit First by Mike. Mike McCallowitz.
0: Awesome. Can you tell me where we can best connect with you? I know you kind of mentioned some yeah! of the handles before, but what's the best place that we can connect with you?
1: Well, as I mentioned before, Instagram and LinkedIn, if you want to chat, if you want to chat, hit me up on one of those two. If you are in a learning mode, however, I would love to direct you to anniepruggles.com, my website, On my website, you'll find my free masterclass, you'll find a quiz, you'll find episodes like these of shows that I've been lucky enough to be on, and additionally, my own podcast, Too Legitimate to Quit, which is small business advice with a pop culture spin, and new episodes of that come out every Monday. I would love it if you would give that a listen.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Annie. I really appreciate you being here today. The
1: pleasure has been all mine, Maria. Thank you for having this conversation with me.
0: Well, there you have it, my friend. Another outstanding entrepreneur decoding the struggle that we call sales. I love Annie's no-nonsense approach to teaching sales. It's far too easy to give up on this integral part of business because we simply can't understand how to do it well. I'll have links for you to connect with Annie in the show notes. She's currently offering a free masterclass on her site, which I know you'll love. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Handmade CEO Podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes to get a glimpse of today's featured guest and special offers. If you love the show, leave a review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. Now it's your turn to start handcrafting your dream job.